With the, gospel, with the second lesson today, we continue in our look into the early church in the book of the Acts of the Apostles. Today, the 15th chapter, beginning at the verse numbered one, and I will read till the very beginning of the 12th verse. Hear the word of God. Then certain individuals came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to discuss this question with the apostles and the elders. So they were sent on their way by the church. And as they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, they reported the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the believers. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and said, it is necessary for them to be circumcised in order to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met together to consider this matter, and after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, My brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the message of the good news and become believers. And God, who knows the human heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as God did to us. And in cleansing their hearts by faith, God has made no distinction between them and us. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. The whole assembly kept silence. This is the word of the Lord. When I was an undergraduate, all of the final exams were given in a huge hall with long tables that stretched the width of the room. They were lined up in rows the entire length of the room. Chairs were spaced out at tables, not for health and safety, but to discourage wandering eyes. An exam for one class was given on the one side of the table, and on the other side of the table, somebody was taking an exam in another class. There must have been a half a dozen or more classes taking exams at the same time. All the students taking exams were writing answers in the notorious blue books and writing in longhand. Proctors roaming the room were graduate students. And there was one person semester after semester, year after year, at a table in the middle along the side with a microphone, and he was in charge of pretty much everything, including the clock. And he was affectionately known by all students as Mr. Test. 
There was an apocryphal story that hung around for years on campus of an encounter between Mr. Test and a student. Mr. Test had called time, exam over, pencils down. Most students had long since left the room when a student appeared before Mr. Test and asked which pile of blue books was for his class. Mr. Test pointed to a large stack in front of him and said, I can't accept your exam, it is now too late. And the student, with all the attitude one can imagine, blurted out to Mr. Test, do you know who I am? And Mr. Test, with an equal amount of attitude, quickly responded to the student, I have no idea who you are, but I can assure you if I did, it would not make a difference. The student smiled and said, okay then, and quickly shoved his blue book into the middle of the pile and ran away. The only reason that story probably still lingers around campus, the only reason it is funny at all, is that it kind of hits close to home. How power and privilege and access so often plays out in the world, in our lives, and even when it comes to living out faith. In the biblical text offered for your hearing this morning, Paul, Barnabas, Peter, and later James are engaged in an argument for what is, what became, what remains at the very heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ, salvation by grace. The reading from last week that told of Paul and Barnabas shaking dust and setting out to bring the gospel to the Gentiles establishes the context for this scene we read this morning of the profound theological discernment in the earliest days of the church. Despite ongoing persecution and imprisonment, Paul and Barnabas traveled the region making many disciples. Just at the end of chapter 4, 14, Luke reports that Barnabas and Paul returned to Antioch and told the church all that God has done with them and how God had opened the door of faith for the Gentiles. Shortly thereafter, a group of Jewish preachers and teachers came down from Judea and proclaimed to anyone who would listen, hey, don't you know who we are? The no small dissension and debate between Paul and Barnabas and the other itinerant preachers about circumcision was an argument about, one with, about whether one had to become Jewish in order to become Christian. As a professor of mine said a long, long time ago in reference to that open door of faith for the Gentiles, that it was a matter of whether one had to go through the door of the synagogue to get to the door of the church. The sign of circumcision, the custom of Moses, the law of Moses, it sat at the very core of one's faith, one's identity as a child of God for the people of Israel. So yes, the travelers from Judea were arguing with Paul and Barnabas, don't you remember who we are as God's people? Notice that Barnabas and Paul were sent on their way by the church to go back up to Jerusalem to continue the debate. And the elders and apostles of the Jerusalem church welcomed them and were filled with joy as the report of the conversion of the Gentiles was received and the requirement to keep the law was brought up again. And after much debate, Peter, the rock upon which Christ would build his church, stood up to speak. And he reminded them that God had chosen him from among them to spread the message of the good news to the Gentiles. And God, who knows the human heart, 
testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as God did to us, Peter proclaimed. In cleansing their hearts by faith, God has made no distinction between them and us. Why put God to the test by imposing law after law that hangs like a yoke around the neck when our ancestors were never able to pull it off? It's too much. It's too difficult to bear. We believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. We will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. Saved through grace. And the whole assembly kept silent. It wasn't the kind of silence in Luke that the disciples demanded from the blind man by the side of the road who kept shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. It wasn't the kind of silence in Luke kept by Peter, James, and John after coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration when they held their tongue and didn't tell anybody what had happened. This was more like the silence Luke describes after the scribes and the chief priests sent spies to try to entrap Jesus with questions. And Jesus answer left them amazed yet silent most likely because they didn't like the answer and they knew they were not going to be able to trap him we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the lord jesus just as they will and the whole assembly kept silence one has to wonder what was the greater cause of the silence of the assembly when it came to that last sentence that exclamation point, that fine point on the heart of the gospel of Jesus etched on the sacred page proclaiming salvation by grace. We believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. What was more disconcerting to the crowd? The first part or the last part? What was more upsetting to the Gentile, that the Gentiles would be included in salvation? or the testimony that even those in the crowd will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, the easier choice is to assume that the listeners were upset about the inclusion of the Gentiles. But you can't have the latter without the former. The door of faith can't be opened to the Gentiles unless at the end of the day, salvation for everyone is only by grace. The biggest threat to the sign of circumcision, the custom of Moses and the keeping of the law of Moses had to have been salvation by grace alone. We believe we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. It was the biggest hurdle then, and it's the biggest hurdle now in the life of faith, because it's completely contrary to pretty much everything else in the world, contrary to pretty much everything else related to religion and faith, Contrary to pretty much everything it means to be human, contrary pretty much to everything you and I have ever been taught anywhere in any time, and contrary to pretty much everything that bombards us all the time, salvation by grace. Biggest hurdle then, biggest hurdle now. And unfortunately, it is pretty much contrary to so much of the church's history, the church's behavior, the church's actions from then until now. I was listening to a blog on a morning walk this week that included audio from the oral arguments before the Supreme Court recently on two affirmative action cases that are before the court. As a kid from a public school in a suburb outside of Pittsburgh, 
who got into Harvard in 1980 because some football coach put a check by my name. I'm a product of admissions preference. On the surface, the goal of the lawsuit is to establish college admission as a fully merit-based process. And I learned in listening to the journalist being interviewed that 25 years ago, the court, in an opinion written by Justice Sandra Day O'Connor, believed that the need for consideration of race and ethnicity in college admission would eventually fade as the society became more and more equal and just. That if the process was working, it would put itself out of business and admissions could return to being solely merit-based, which of course it never was. Perhaps it need not be said, but with or without affirmative action, the college admission process could not be further from Paul and Barnabas' teaching on salvation by grace. Yes, I know college admissions and the life of the faith are not the same, but the threat of a merit-based theology that embraces an individualism and a pull yourself up by your bootstraps and a good old Protestant work ethic when it comes to God, salvation, the life of faith, the merit-based theology and spirituality and piety and the life of the church, it never goes away. It's not that every now and then in history the church, begin, the church begins to lean a little bit back toward salvation earned, salvation deserved because the church was so good at grace and the spread of the boundaryless gospel both in word and deed that the church did so well within and without that equality and justice thrived for a season. No, not 25 years, not 25 days, not for 2,000 years. It's more like the church and those in it have this innate yearning to hoard God's grace and shout, what's in it for me? Hoarding God's grace rather than sharing it and all the while living like others who are labeled as different or other or worse, don't deserve it and have to earn it. Don't you know who we are? We believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. You can't have the latter without the former. Any celebration and joy found in the boundless reach of the gospel of Jesus Christ and his grace has to include the knowledge and pretty much the daily discovery that you and I have been saved by grace alone. You weren't born into it. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. There's nothing you can do because it is a gift of God through the faith of Jesus Christ. It's not because you are religious enough. It's not because you're smart enough or humble enough. Not because you go to church. Not because you thank God you are not like that Pharisee across the room. Not because your grandmother raised you right. Salvation is by grace. And yes, God's love is that great. The church of Jesus Christ and those in it will never fully embrace, welcome, or celebrate the other, will never loosen the death grip on God's grace, will never stop putting God to the test without the fullest, life-changing, transforming acceptance of salvation by grace alone, heart by heart. Because you can't have the latter without the former. Thanks be to God.